God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe of Christians, Christians broadcast, either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians podcast. I am your host, the Chief Sinner. I believe God has a very special word for you. I have got this incredible teaching to share with you straight from the Gospel of Mark about an unnamed man who impacted the heart of Jesus and revolutionized the perspective of the disciples in the early church. I believe this teaching is going to profoundly impact your life and give you the faith you need to move into your anointed calling and purpose. The title of this podcast episode is Never Be Afraid to Try. There is a lot going on in the world. There is no doubt in my mind that we are living in the end times and the day of Jesus' return is drawing nearer and nearer every single second. We are seeing so many prophetic fulfillments come to life right in front of our very own eyes. It's like that one thing you anticipated to see your entire life, and here it is happening. Last week, I was watching Evan Almighty and watched the movie humorously mirrors the events of the flood in Noah's Ark. And although there really isn't anything funny about the flood, the movie does inspirationally put things into perspective. The story of Noah and the flood truly foreshadows what the second coming is going to be like. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that it will be like in the times of Noah. People will be without any expectation or anticipation when he comes back. As I was watching this movie, there was this particular scene where all of the people are scoffing at Evan and making fun of him. I couldn't help but relate to this, which I think so many of us do. And then it starts to rain and a dam starts to collapse, threatening the lives of everybody outside of the boat. But it was like, it was that look on Evan's face that really got me. The look when someone gets a glorious revelation from the Holy Spirit. That very moment in a person's life where they discover that everything that God had told them is true. And not only true, but they're witnessing it right in front of their very eyes. So here is Evan facing the moment that he so eagerly anticipated happening right in front of him. And at this moment, this particular scene of the movie, I felt the Spirit of the Lord come upon me and I felt that revelation. I felt the anticipation. I felt the witness my eyes will see of the Lord's second coming. But my feeling was much different than Evan's feeling of relief, my feeling felt more of like a shock 
and a concern that there was so much to do with no time left. And that is probably one of my greatest fears, that when it is all said and done, and I'm standing here before the Lord on seated on his throne, I'm taking an account of what I did with my life. I want to be able to leave this place with the satisfaction that I did and completed every work that God gave me to his full expectation. And there won't be any excuses, but the accountability of my responsibility. I don't want anyone or anything to ever keep me from starting and finishing the work that God has given me. Don't let others keep you from building the ark. Don't let anyone's doubt or disbelief stop you from making the preparations for God's kingdom in your life and in the lives around you. It's not to say that you're not going to question yourself at times because you will. That's the normal realization of our limitations. But regardless how foolish it may seem to others to follow what God follow what God has placed in your heart because as we are drawing nearer every single day to the end, God's callings, the call to serve the kingdom and reach the loss for Christ, the burning desire to turn hearts back to him is going to only greatly increase even more. It's going to keep increasing until his works are completed and the time is upon us. So I want to talk about trying in a world of naysayers, building a boat in a desert of no rain or water. Initiating your purpose through faith in the faithless world. I want to talk about not being afraid to start your journey of God's mission on your life. No matter how old or how young you are. No matter how far you have strayed or how less you've strayed. No matter how accomplished or inexperienced your life is. Whether you have a college degree or not. None of these things matter when it comes to simply following God. What do you think the people thought of Abraham when he said he was going to have a child at 100 years old? What do you think that the people thought about Moses when he came to them and he said that the great I am has sent me to you? What do you think the disciples said when the oppressor Saul approached them, known as Paul, and he said to them that he had a blinding and life-changing vision of Jesus, the significant revelation of God? And the gospel message of Christ is worth more than anything else than taking the risk of never seeing it at all. To move with God's purpose ahead of you, you must leave the worry of what others think behind you. The world only moves if it has the logic to move, but faith enables us to move before and beyond logic. It will take you to places farther than you can ever dream or imagine. Faith will enable you to achieve the greatest victories with only the smallest amount of hope. Now, if you have your Bible, a computer, phone, or Bible app, whichever the case be, our scripture text comes straight from Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 40, and then later, Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. Again, that is going to be found in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 40. And then secondly, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, starting with chapter 9, verses 38. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. 
Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. In the last, I don't know, let's just say, about the last 2,000 years since the beginning of Jesus' ministry with his disciples, the hearts of men has still remained consistently yet unsurprisingly the same to this very day. Here were these 12 men called by Jesus who had followed him every second of the day for three years, believing he was and is the true prophesied king of Israel. In, in this passage of scripture, at this exact point in time of history, they had yet to receive the revelation of the full purpose of Jesus and the everlasting impact of his mission through grace. They were still anticipating a conqueror like warrior, like David, who would reestablish and lead the nation of Israel. And he will, rightfully so, at his second coming when Jesus comes back again to judge the entire world. But in this time in history, this part of scripture, Jesus' mission at this point was not to judge, but to save. So the disciples, they carried with them this sense of pride, this feeling of priv privilegedness as any person close to royalty might feel. The perception the disciples were focused on the earthly things rather than the bigger picture of the purpose of Jesus' ministry and his true calling. To give them the benefit of the doubt, I believe that the revelation of grace through Christ was purposely withheld from them until the end in order to be even more effective later in their own personal ministries. It's like when Paul says he is perfected in weakness. So the disciples had seen Jesus cast out legions of demons a thousand times. They had seen Jesus heal a thousand times. They had seen Jesus perform many kinds of miracles a thousand times, but they have never witnessed anybody else other than Jesus perform a miracle in Jesus' name, especially someone who is not a part of their own little group, at least up until this very exact moment. So naturally, here comes a man who amazingly received the revelation of who Jesus is in the faith to use his name. We honestly don't really know much about this man. We have no clue if he is Jewish or not or where he came from. We don't know anything about his past. The Bible has no record of this man's name. Yet, here is this unknown man, and he is using the highest and most powerful anointing straight from heaven and performing the miracle of casting out demons. Regardless of who he is or where he came from, I think for the time that they were in and the circumstances of their situation, with the absence of the Holy Spirit like how Christians have it today in their hearts, 
I think it's pretty dang remarkable that anybody could manifest this kind of faith with this kind of revelation, all at simply about the name of Jesus. It appears that this man gave absolutely no regard. He gave no thought, no concern in the world about anybody else except this revelation that he received about the name of Jesus and began immediately exercising his faith. Can you imagine the first person that he came across that was demonically possessed? First of all, most of us have seen the movie The Exorcist. It's crazy. I wouldn't have even dared to enter the room. But this man, he didn't run away. Something must have compelled him to help. Somewhere, somehow, he knew that Jesus could cast out these demons. So I guess through his compilation to help, he tried something that he had absolutely no idea would work. And then, I guess, I guess it worked. So he turned into an exorcist, and he starts waging war against the kingdom of Satan. Now the dilemma in this situation is this. Israel is always getting tricked and persuaded into following idols. They fall a lot for con artists. And they have faced severe judgment time after time for it, every single time, throughout the entire Old Testament of the Bible. It's part of the reason that the Roman Empire was currently ruling over them at this time. It's, not, it's also why Jesus warns a lot not to follow false teachers. But ever since the beginning of the world, people have followed idols and performed signs all in the name of these idols. Take Egypt, for example, in the book of Exodus. The pharaoh had all these magic juju wizards, so to say, doing these stupid foolish signs misleading all these people, and yet not a single one of them ever compared to the signs of God and who God is. In one of the scenes in Exodus, Moses' staff was even turned into a snake and consumed the other snakes. Think of the showdown with Elijah with the prophets of Baal. God consumed Elijah's altar to God with fire even after it was completely soaked in water. So, you can only imagine the thoughts and the emotions that ran through the disciples. To them, here is this unknown man working miracles in Jesus' name. They assumed that the man was a false teacher or a false prophet, and that this man had no right or authority to cast out demons using the name of Jesus. Instant judgment, instant condemnation and pride, instant jealousy and hatred towards a man that they didn't even know. And yet Jesus says in Matthew 25:40, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Their perception of this man preluded their judgments of the man. And Jesus told them, Just because you are my disciples, anybody who does something as to so small or simple as offering a cup of water to you will be blessed and will not lose their reward. If the man was using the name of Jesus to cast out demons, he had to have had that revelation in the very first place. And the Bible says that 
revelation of truth only comes straight from the Father in heaven, who is truth, which is sent by the Holy Spirit. So, if the Heavenly Father was in Jesus, and Jesus was in the Heavenly Father, having this perfect unity and fellowship, as Jesus claimed, then Jesus must have already known about this man, because it was him that sent him the revelation, and it was his very spirit that gave him the insight. So Jesus must have set up this stage initially as a divine appointment long before it ever happened. I always say that nothing is by coincidence, but everything happens for a reason, a plan and a purpose, just like how it was with the story of the blind man that was blinded from birth in order to glorify Jesus years later down the road. I am sure of it that Jesus set up this exact divine appointment to bring this man across the paths of the disciples to test and teach them. It must have been by divine appointment and plan because it's recorded in the Bible. If it wasn't important to be reserved down the road for us to read today in time, it wouldn't have been written down. There were millions of things that happened with Jesus, as John said in his gospel, but God only chose a few select things to record in the Bible. So that means something. When we pass unrighteous judgment on others, and I say unrighteous because Jesus does call the church to edify one another, just as iron sharpens iron, there is a difference between edification and unrighteous judgment. But when we pass unrighteous judgment on others, we are denying others, and we are passing judgment on Jesus, and we are denying Jesus. There's no mistake about that. Jesus says in Matthew 10:33 that whoever denies me before men I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus isn't just talking about himself. Think about that for just a second. When we come to Jesus and when we accept him as both Lord and Savior, the heavenly Father no longer sees an image of just us. He sees the very image of his son, Jesus, Jesus that took our very place on the cross in which he died for our sins. What else did God mean when he said in Genesis, let us make man in our own image? And although Jesus rebuked his disciples and he commended this man, and although it's recorded in our holy text, and although that we have probably preached this scripture a thousand or a million times just on the phrase of who are not against us or for us, yet we are still struggling over the very same exact issue today of denying and rejecting one another. The Lord gives each believer a unique gift in order to serve and prosper his kingdom. The purpose of that gift is to serve one another. God's gifts of the Spirit only work when we are using it to the benefit of others other than ourselves. It's through love and by love. So if we are denying a special gift or talent in another believer's life, then we are removing a very vital piece of God that he is using to hold all of us together. If a person loses a foot, they can't use that leg to stand without a prosthesis or a crutch. 
If a person loses a hand, that person cannot use that arm to pick something up off the ground. Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches. But anyone who fails to bear fruit are cut off. That's one less fruit than before. That's one less person that we are able to feed. That's one less than we had before. So we can't afford to cut ourselves off by judging and sinning against others. We can't afford to cut anyone else off either. In this world, we need every single person that we can get because there is power in unity. There is power in agreement. And therefore, if we deny or reject another believer, how are we going to be able to use that branch of Jesus' body to accomplish a task or a mission, to reach the ends of the earth for his gospel? But for some reason, we would rather cut somebody else off to preserve ourselves, but not realizing that by cutting somebody else off, we are cutting ourselves off too. So here are the disciples thinking that they were doing something good. They thought that they had stopped this man from doing a bad thing by using Jesus' name. And they took it a step even further to accuse the man by reporting it to Jesus. And they probably were seeking the approval of Jesus and a pat on their back, perhaps. They again, here they are highlighting their accomplishments and what they perceive to be something good. But we know another snitcher in the Bible, don't we? We sure do. The Bible calls him Satan, the accuser of brethren, always accusing us night and day before the Father. And we see that in the book of Job. We always want to be the first to discover the latest trends, the first to stop somebody bad. We always want to be given the credit of our thoughts or ideas, good deeds, our videos and pictures that have gone viral. We always want the recognition of the good actor deeds that we have done that we have perceived to be good. Most of us can't go a single day without highlighting ourselves. I currently work security for a hospital in New York City and one day, the hospital received some very nice inspirational photos that were marvelously framed and put up. And these photos, they had these inspirational people like Mother Teresa, and they included these special quotes. So I took a walk to admire the photos. And when a lady approached me, she said, aren't these photos remarkable? And I replied, I replied back to her and I said, uh, yeah, yes, they really are. Many of these people in these quotes were actually inspired straight from the Bible. And the woman turns to me and she says, Oh yes, I know. I get daily scripture devotionals from my minister. So I said, Really? That's cool. That's great. I'm also an ordained minister. Then the woman, she turns to me and she says, Oh yeah, but these are from my minister, Joel Osteen. So I, uh, I just smiled. I nodded, gave a slight laugh. And I told her that I was also from the same area of Houston, Texas, and have assisted in many of Lakewood Church Ministries. We like to be the center of attention. We love to be glorified and highlight anything that makes us look or feel good about ourselves. And it's strange to consider that somehow, something even as so small and dumb like this woman's email subscription to Lakewood Church can be used to fuel our own self-egos. Don't get me wrong, getting a daily devotional every day and being in the Word of God is amazing 
It's good. It's absolutely necessary to the Christian walk and very commendable. However, all of these people in these photos that I was looking at, with all those admirable quotes, all had this one thing in common. They went against the normal. They put their faith to the test. They sought out to try and serve those around them with the gospel message through one day at a time, one step after the next, one person after another, one act at a time. They served Christ wholeheartedly and they met the needs of those around them. None of these people, they acted on orders, but they did it without a permission slip. We don't need anybody else's approval or permission slip to love one another. But if we never get our eyes off of ourselves, we will never even start the journey. We'll never even get off the ground. As long as we are focusing on ourselves, we'll never be able to unite and fulfill God's calling and purposes. The disciples had to witness the completion and fullness of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and the revelation of his grace in order to finally understand what the name of Jesus truly meant. Jesus said to his disciples that whomever wants to be my disciple or follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. All the rabbis and the Pharisees of that time and the time of Jesus were about elevating themselves in their society and culture. It's like building up a resume of credentials. Everybody wanted to follow Jesus, and yet nobody wanted to follow Jesus. Except this one man, this one single man who seemed to get it. And already he started going to work long before Jesus commissioned the Great Commission to his disciples. He didn't wait for somebody to tell him to get up and go. He didn't wait for the authorization. He didn't wait for the approval. He did as he saw Jesus do in the service of others. His belief and faith was the only permission and the approval that he needed. And yet, in today's times, it seems that everybody else is still too occupied with themselves and therefore nothing is getting done. Jesus said, Pray. For the Lord to send laborers for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is no shortage of work to do in the Lord's harvest. Thousands upon thousands are homeless in the streets. Millions are still dying every single day to starvation and hunger. Millions are turning to drugs and alcohol to cope with the needs that can only be met by Jesus. I see it every single day. One right after the next, one person after another, it's one suicide after the next. Everyone seems to think that they know the solution is, but nobody is willing to be a part of that solution. You are the solution, my friends. I guarantee you that one of your neighbors could use a meal, a co-worker could use encouragement, or perhaps there's a friend or a family member you haven't spoken to in a long time, and they're over there struggling with depression. You can pick up the phone and give them a call. Don't overlook the value that you have, the implications your work have, and don't underestimate the influence that God has given you. And Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. 
And if we only have the faith the size of a mustard seed, we could tell mountains to move and they will move. The Red Sea was parted on account of faith and the willingness to try. The nation of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel from Jacob came on the account of faith and the willingness to try. This started with Abraham. Every miraculous testimony that we read in the Gospels is on the account of faith and someone's willingness to try. The friends that lowered their paralyzed man through the roof right in front of Jesus. The woman that touched the hem of his garment was healed and each one of them with a little bit of faith and the willingness to try. Don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do. Don't let someone else tell you what to go for and what not to go for. Don't let anybody hinder you from going after Jesus. Don't let anybody limit your ability to show love and compassion to somebody. Has Jesus told you to start up a Bible study? Has Jesus told you to pray for your co-worker? Has he asked you to become a pastor or an evangelist? Has he told you to share a dream or a vision with somebody? Has he told you to pray for healing for someone? Has he asked you to start a prayer group? I really love this scene from Prince Caspian, the Chronicles of Narnia between Lucy and Aslan. And in the movie, Lucy has been seeing these visions of Aslan and she's been trying to tell everybody, but nobody believes her. No one's listening. They've all dismissed her. And at the end, it's revealed that Lucy had in fact been seeing Aslan the whole time. And Aslan tells her this incredible reminder and truth that's relevant to each and every single one of us to this day to not let anything stop you from coming to him. A couple of years ago at a local community church that I was attending, some of the men wanted to get together for a small weekly Bible study and prayer session. They had spent many months asking the lead pastor of this church to put together a men's group, but one thing led to the next and a lot was going on, so it didn't happen. So I had opened up my home for the men for a few weeks, which apparently offended this pastor, and I was rebuked for it. After that, it took over an entire year with a lot of very unfortunate turmoil and very difficulty until this pastor was able to put together a men's group. Over that course of time, we lost a lot of men because of it. And I understand where this pastor was coming from. This man is a great man of God. He's doing incredible revolutionary things for God. He's leading many souls to salvation. And pastors, they carry a lot of weight on their shoulders. But it doesn't have to be a pastor's responsibility to start up a prayer or Bible group. It doesn't have to be an elder or leader. We shouldn't be rebuking anybody on their willingness to try and meet a need. If only more Christians and churches would get out of the competition and unite in purpose and calling behind one another, this world would look very much different than it is today. If a person hands you a cup of water, as Jesus said to his disciples, in his name, accept it. Who cares if the person who they are? Let's just appreciate the cup of water and then it came in the Lord's name. My wife loves to joke around with me. Every single day we go to the coffee shop together and we get coffees on our coffee date. And every single time, every time my wife always asks me, every single time without fail, to try a sip of her coffee. I like my coffee to be sweet 
But my wife, on the other hand, I think she prefers a more hardcore taste of coffee. And she gets the iced coffee, which I don't really get. I've tried it, and I still can't figure it out. Coffee should be hot. So I usually decline her offer politely, and I tell her no thank you. But my wife is extremely persistent, okay? Let me tell you how persistent she is. She has never turned down a single appointment. She has never stood up a single lunch date. She has never turned away an invitation. My wife is one of those loyal and faithful friends in every single one of her friendships. And when you give her a responsibility, she's very consistent and persistent with that responsibility. However, despite all that, my wife likes to tell me that I always turn down every single food and beverage offer that she gives me. She says that, if somebody else were to offer me that very same exact strong iced coffee beverage, then I would gladly accept their invitation. But she says the invitation, if it comes from her, I will never accept it. I tried to remind her that in the last two years of our marriage, and with all of our journeys and great adventures that we have been on together in the three and a half years of knowing each other, that her beverage has never changed. <laughs> so it usually still ends up with me taking a small sip of her coffee and giving the sour look on my face as if I just chugged a Pepmo Bismol. That's what love is. That's what we should do for one another. We as Christians should support each other, even if it means taking a sip of strong iced coffee. It shouldn't be a one-way street. It shouldn't just fall upon the responsibility of a pastor or a leader. It shouldn't just be the support of one single church's vision or another pastor's vision, but it should be the support of each other as the member of the entire body of Christ, the whole church. Now, isn't that what marriage is about? When we come to Jesus and become the bride of Christ, are we not marrying Jesus? And becoming married into his entire family, we all know the struggles of when two families are brought together under a single marriage. We all know that there's different personalities and charismas, faults and struggles, and everything becomes not just the problem of a single person, but becomes the burden and the weight of an entire marriage and family. They take on the responsibility. So we as believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, are together in one single family unified by one marriage to Christ. Therefore, our love and compassion for Christ ought to be the unifying attitude that brings the entire family and bride of Christ together rather than separating and dividing each other. We need to support each other. We need one another. We shouldn't be afraid to set out in a ministry calling. We shouldn't be afraid to pray for one another. We shouldn't be afraid to start up a Bible study. We shouldn't be afraid to speak a prophetic word to somebody. And we shouldn't be afraid to edify one another. As the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. But because of judgment and jealousy, envy, condemnation, and fear, and every other kind of thing under sin, we can't even trust one another with the desires of our heart to serve the Lord, which he says are good things. 
I believe there are some 30,000 different church denominations around the country, and that's 30,000 opportunities to unite and prosper together the gospel message. When someone is working in the name of Christ, we ought to lend a hand and not the cold shoulder. I'm sure Jesus never personally met this man, the man that was casting out demons in his name other than by his Holy Spirit. And if Jesus, who is the absolute supreme authority and ruler of all of the earth and heaven, who teaches us all things, gave an an unnamed man approval to minister in his very own name, then how much more are we to approve of others despite of their position and background? This man got it, and Jesus wasn't going to let anybody take it away from him. Now, if you would turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Only indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will never be taken away from her. Here is a situation between two sisters, a situation again involving family. Have you ever grown up with a sibling? I grew up with five of them, and I'm the oldest. A blended family. We had a blended family of one sister, one half-sister, three stepsisters, and one stepbrother. It was exhausting, and it seemed like a never-ending cycle of competition. And if one of us were to mess up for some weird reason, it was as if it looked very poorly upon either of the parents in our family, my father or stepmother. And if one of us succeeded well in doing something, then it was as if that parent was succeeding. It didn't make any sense to me. One always had to be the most popular and well-liked student. One had to always make the best grades and to get in the best college. One has to have the most successful career. And to this day, this competition is still going on. So here is Mary hosting Jesus and his disciples with her sister Martha at their home because you know that everywhere Jesus went, the disciples went too. That's a lot of work. However, here is Mary at the feet of Jesus, and I'm sure aware of the situation going on in the kitchen and such, but is choosing to be put at Christ's feet first. And I'm sure the conversation from Martha was, Something like this. It kind of went, can you believe this? My sister is so lazy and yet gaining all the attention. I'm the one who has to do everything. I'm the one who has to prepare the meal and has cleaned everything up. It was all of me and yet no one has noticed me. Will somebody please say something to her? And Jesus' response is this. He says, your perception is wrong. You're worried and focused on all of the wrong things. Don't worry about what others think of you. Don't worry about the criticism. Don't worry about trying to please anybody else. Just focus on me and nobody will have anything else to say about you.
Never be afraid to try. Never be afraid to seek after Jesus. Never be afraid to follow him. Never be afraid to speak in his name. Jesus will never turn you away. He will never disown you. He will never put you to shame. The only people that were ever humiliated by Jesus were the ones who were always trying to discredit him and to put others down. The people that are always seeking after their own best interest, the ones who are always working to protect their image and their status in society, Jesus says that he will humble those who exalt themselves and will exalt those who are humble. God does not want you to live in dormant and complacent. He doesn't want you to live in fear and in constant rebuke. He wants you to try. You have a great idea. You have a great inspiration in your heart. You want to meet the needs of others. God says that's a great and incredible thing and I want you to do it. He wants you to take what little ounce of faith that you have and put it to use. He can take the smallest amounts of faith and grow it into large scores of trees. Don't let anybody hold you back anymore. Don't let anybody isolate you or discourage you. Whatever the calling or gift is upon your life, trust God, put it in his hands and be faithful with the revelation that he's given to you. Just like the man who had little knowledge or training from Jesus and yet he went and he went right to work casting out demons and waging war against Satan. And I guarantee you, he's in heaven right now and he's considered a saint. If this is the first time you're hearing about putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, and you want to know how to move into these next steps, into the next step of faith and walk in your life, or if it's been a while, a long time, and you'd like to rededicate your life to Jesus, you can start to pray this prayer with me right now you can pray this word after word with me and God will honor your prayers in your heart dear Heavenly Father I thank you for who you are I thank you for sending your one and only son Jesus into the world to die for my sins and forgiving me I thank you for your unconditional and eternal love I thank you that your Holy Spirit will come into my heart and allow your words to live and prosper in me so that I may glorify you and fulfill the calling you have placed upon my life. Please bless me with divine relationships that will lead me to you and help me to lead others to you. Please help me to be a blessing to others just as you have blessed me. In your Son, in Jesus' great name that I pray. Amen. Now you can find more great teachings just like this one on our website at tribeofchristians.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share our broadcast to get the latest updates and to help spread the gospel message. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for more insight. It has been an absolute pleasure and honor sharing this word with you. But this concludes this episode's broadcast. I am the Chief Sinner with the Tribe of Christians. May God continue to bless you and be with you.